Hey, Metastential in a bite-sized travel-to-go package. Tom Bennett, Derek Phillips, talking Metastential, the overlap of digital and culture. Let's do it as a podcast. Okay. Metastential podcast, we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're going to continue the theme here, talking to Matt Moraski. We had a good time on the last one. Yes, we did. It's good to see you again, Tom. Good to see you again, Matt. The walk, I walked down to the hall. <laughs> it might sound a little different to you guys. We're, we're in a slightly different mic setup right now. But uh, so, you know, we touched the subject last time about facilitating. Yes, we did. And I think, you know, I, that's one of the things that fascinates me because a lot of the work we do is facilitation. But I think a lot of people haven't thought about what that means and yeah. why, what are the advantages, right? Yeah, I, you know, people talk about trying to adopt methodologies. They try to talk about doing good work. They try to talk about how can we make all this happen? And invariably you hear the answer. Most people say about, well, what makes our company great? And they say, the people. Mm-hmm. It's the people. Very few people say, it's our methodology. Well, burger joints may say it. So it's yeah. the way we make our burgers. But yeah, the in the- not matter because they yeah. put buttons. But in the service industry, it's in, in the services industry that we're in, it's very much about the people. And facilitators are, I think, one of those crux people who can make or break a session. Well, so, so let's talk a little bit about like what, yes, because companies will hire people like you and people like us to solve problems. Right. Yeah. And if you think of it a little bit like a family, sometimes families can't solve their own problems because they have the problems. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. So having an external force come in can yeah. be useful. It really allows them to expose things that would be politically sensitive or culturally less appropriate, um, even though everybody wants to talk about it. They're aching, they're just, they can't wait to talk about it, but it either puts your job in jeopardy or you just don't have the the subject matter expertise to be able to bring it up. And and for whatever reason, you're just not allowed to do it internally. But when you come in as an external facilitator, in fact, one of our jobs is to ask the dumb questions, is mm-hmm. to um, bring up those topics so that they can see the light of day. And right. I think that's really interesting for anybody who is a facilitator or tries facilitation. Oftentimes that desire is, oh, well, let me read everything I can about the client. Let me make sure I understand the subject matter super well so I don't come across as ignorant, when in fact it's that ignorance that can actually help create the right questions to really get the team talking about the things that either will uncover new ideas or bring up topics that they just need, they need to work through them. Sometimes as a facilitator, I joke that ignorance is bliss because it allows us to ask those questions or to make an observation. You know, did anyone notice there's an angry chimpanzee sitting on the table right now? You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you have you guys noticed that right now? Because that's weird. Yeah, I'll, you know? I'll, I'll often joke and just say I'm paid to ask dumb questions. Like that's my job. That's why. That's why I'm here. And in well, fact, I've even used that as an excuse. Like when somebody gives you looks at you kind of cross-eyed or across the room, like, "Hey, what do you think you're doing?" Mm-hmm. You know, I say I, I'm getting paid to to do this. I'm not. I'm not personally. I have nothing against you. I'm just being paid to bring this stuff up. Right, and that's that's the other thing is the um, the diversion from fault. I don't know, what is that? You wanna, yeah. you're not really in the way, right? Right. You're, and the fact that the company is probably is paying good money for this 
means it it lends you a certain authority. Yes. You know, this is costing a bit today. Mm-hmm. Not counting all the time that all of you managers sitting here are 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 using, mm-hmm. but but also that this is there's a SOW for this statement of work that's pretty big. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so let's make this work, right? Yeah. And and not only are you are you given some license to ask the tough questions, Tom, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've experienced that, but also you're there to take some heat as well. You can be a lightning rod, right? Right. So it's your job to stand up sometimes and say, "Hey, direct this heat at me. Tell me more about how pissed you are, or yeah. about how things aren't working, and what that means." Because the last thing you want them doing is turning and directing that at somebody in the room right. or at some inappropriate, you know, other named individual or group that it's it's not going to sit well with so, them. So here's an interesting element from design thinking we didn't talk about last time, mm-hmm. but I think it's very interesting is when you're creating, let's say often when we're doing a session where it's not all conversation, it's and we it's most certainly not PowerPoint on the wall, right? Mm-hmm. What we want to do is be speaking with people and then often we're drawing right. something. We're, we're saying, okay, so if I'm hearing you right, I'm drawing a, the shape of this thing. It looks like a pyramid and we're doing this stuff. Here are the people you're talking about. Yeah. Does this make sense, right? Checking in yes. and, and helping people get invested in what the drawing is, right? Mm-hmm. And what's really cool about that is that means it's not personal anymore. Yeah. Like if you and I have a disagreement, but we're at the wall, it's right. about what's on the whiteboard. Not It's, it's not like I hate you, Matt. It's, yeah. it's more like I hate that thing. Mm-hmm. And that's safer. For yeah, people, isn't it? Yes, it's 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 much safer, and not only is because it up is up on the wall. And I'm saying the same thing I think you're saying, but it also takes it away from the individual. So there, uh, for instance, somebody might say something that is is negative, but somebody might have a really good idea, but nobody really likes them, yeah. or nobody really listens to them very mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. And if you can get that idea away from that person, and it no longer carries whatever human baggage they have, right. it gets that idea gets um, really evaluated more at face value, at face value. rather than right. with all its other baggage. Um, uh, a colleague of ours, Maya Garau, who's over in Amsterdam, wonderful person, she uh, once said, and I will always remember it, that um, visual thinking in those post-ups are, is, is the great democratizer in the room. Mm-hmm. And I, I absolutely believe that. And, and there are a lot of hidden tricks in the frameworks that we use that do things like that. Yes. Like um, some of you may be familiar with the idea of a post-up. What that means is you ask a question, but everyone responds to it with post-it notes with all of the answers they're going to give, and then it all goes on the board without editing at the same time. People don't it, – it's, it's different than saying – well, here's a question and then everyone around the room answers it in a sequence because mm-hmm. people tend to self-edit, right? Yeah. But if everyone's written three post-it notes on the problem and some of them are duplicates and some aren't, but at least everyone gets up on the wall, yeah. right? And that's one of the that's that's an example of kind of certain tricks in facilitation that help people um, be democratized and also remove it from the risk. It lowers human risk. Yeah, right? yeah. You can even get them to get to a point of more agreement by selectively working through those in groups, right? So say mm-hmm. you have a group of 12 people and you you know that just getting 12 people together and talking at a board around an issue is going to be really difficult. Um, you could say, all right, well, we're going to break into, let's first do groups of two and we want you to come up with some ideas and share them together in your right. small group, right. talk about them together, decide which 
is are the two best ideas of all your ideas then we want you to combine with another group so that would be then four groups or three groups of four mm -hmm. and and we want you to do the same exercise and build that and then eventually you get all of those three groups then that come together right. and share and you find that they're either coming up with very similar ideas and they're but they're more self-selecting and getting to that place where then they're coming together and saying oh well here now that we've got these two really good ideas or these four really good ideas at the end, we have a lot less to talk about and right. we feel like we've, we've, we've developed alignment and agreement through that process. Right. And they just felt like, oh, well, no, we were just doing this exercise four times in a row versus actually trying to get somewhere. Right. So what it did is it, it separated the conflict out over time. So yeah. instead of you're all fighting about one question, what you're doing is fighting about a sequence of small ones and resolving them. Mm -hmm. So most of the stuff, most of the conflict has been resolved until, you know, by the time you get to the end. Yeah. Right. So, so in facilitation also, the, you know, the role of the person, right? As a facilitator, you, yeah. you, you have a special role. I think you. I think you do. I, I can speak to my experience. I, I, I was going to ask you a question, but I want to hold off on that. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But yes, the the facilitator is. I I think by definition a neutral party, mm -hmm. uh, who is there to clarify. And as my friend James uh, said just last night, um, to to use precision to become more precise, so that we're getting clearer on what we're actually talking about and what mm -hmm. that language is and what the terms we're using. And it's your job to to be that person, to be that voice of, tell me more about that. Let me make sure I understand it. So in so doing, you're helping other folks understand it. Mm -hmm. and, and in being that neutral party, you're, you're neutral, but, and, and, and this is where I'm getting into my question with you, around that need to solve something. There's still the weight still falls on the shoulders of the facilitator to get to a solution or get to an end point if that was agreed upon to some degree or to even take the temperature of the room to see how far you think you can get against a goal. Okay. Like what are you trying to really accomplish? Well, that brings up a big point, but I want to leave room for your question. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, as a facilitator, Tom, how often do you feel really pressured to get to a solution mm -hmm. versus feeling very comfortable in a kind of that neutral space of, I'm just going to let the room do what it needs to do, We're, right. you know, and then we'll see where we land in two or three hours. Well, I would say that working with ambiguity and recognizing ambiguity and using it as a tool is a valuable thing but it has to be in the right context. That's, that's in my experience. Mm -hmm. I used to kind of get in trouble as a facilitator because I would sometimes allow ambiguity to happen when I thought it needed to. Meaning, you might have two people who have come to a session that work for the same company but have never actually really had a conversation before or they have never certainly talked about what the question on the hand is. They, they have a disagreement that they don't even know that they have. But mm -hmm. you can sense it. Yeah. You might sense person A and person B are really on different frequencies right now. And so I have purposely allowed ambiguity to bring them into a place where their conflict stood out. Yes. Right? Yeah. Now that's, again, not everyone likes that. And some customers, clients especially, will freak out a little bit if you allow that. Um, but I always found it useful because everyone needs to hear what that conflict is and right. support these people in getting it resolved, right? Mm -hmm. So allowing that, that little campfire to happen but then allowing, then helping them structure through it. Yes, right? I used to allow a certain amount of heat build up, and then and then be like, okay, okay, it sounds like this, and you have this, and you have this. Let's give you the tools to work through it, 
and then did everyone see how we resolved this, right? Yeah. To the other question though on ambiguity in terms of the whole, the whole facilitation, it's really important, and that's something I even encourage where I'm working now uh, at Connective to try to do a, a lot more of, is to have a very sound and strong agenda as you go in. And in that agenda at the top, you want to have the goals for the session. Yeah. And if the goals for the session is to come to definition on a certain question, you got to put that down, mm-hmm. right? So w- the reason we're having the session is what? You know, we're, we're doing this to, to maybe figure out what our core business capabilities are against our core business challenges and to come up with a set of plans, right? That is a very defined, unambiguous, we want to mm-hmm. do this. Right? Yes. And so if you're going to facilitate a session, you cannot allow ambiguity to go all the way. You have to come to a resolution. Yeah. So then it becomes, yes, as facilitator, it becomes your responsibility to make it happen. But it's not your decision. Right. It's your responsibility to put the frameworks in front of people so they can get there. I think you just brought up a really great point, Tom, which is facilitators are not there to actually solve the problem that we're using the subject matter expertise in the room so that our clients can arrive at a solution. Right. That's the piece that, that is that magic where you're really helping them get to a place where they're comfortable and they say, yes, this is what we should be doing versus you feeling like, oh, I, I, like, I've got to make a decision on this. Yeah. Right. No, no, no thanks. <laughs> I, and in fact, that uniquely uh, appeals to a sense of my personality. I, I don't like, I'm very empathetic and I'm very balanced. Uh, you know, I like to see both sides of something. Mm-hmm. So if I personally have to get to a decision, it's not easy, right? For me, right? Like you know, my wife and I are discussing something. What are we going to do? That's hard. But if I know other people, because of the empathy I can feel, I can say, you know, it looks like Joe's saying this. You know, Steve, can you see that? And 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 Joanne, are you tracking with what Steve just said? I can do that. Because mm-hmm. it's it's still I'm I'm free of the responsibility of having to decide. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I do think that then gives you a lot of that empowerment to ask tough questions, to not feel like oh well, I'm if I'm really driving toward a predisposed or predetermined solution that I think we should be doing, I'm gonna my questions are gonna be biased toward probably trying to get to that. And whereas if you're neutral, you can say, all right, well, we're we're right on the cusp of making this decision. And this feels like all this weight is going in this direction. But I want to go talk to this person who's been really quiet in the room and see if they actually have a different opinion. And they may speak up and suddenly everything shifts and, you know, and, and they bring up a really important point. And you're more willing to say, all right, well, we didn't get there. But this is really valuable that we're having this conversation. So, you know, back to some of the tricks or the the concepts in facilitation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Dave Gray uh, often talks of the two-headed pencil in meetings, right? And so there is an intentional sequence to an event. Let's say you have a six-hour meeting, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Ahead of time in the agenda, thinking about um, basically there are divergent emergent and convergent phases. Yes. If you guys uh, guys listening, just imagine drawing this kind of fat two-headed pencil. There's an opening yeah. uh, period where you're asking questions that are that are about what, you know, what's going on, what's on your mind, what are you thinking? The emergent phase is where you have everything, you've got everything out on the table, all the Legos are out, mm-hmm. but now you play with the Legos and put them into different configurations because you're yeah. going to then say, how do these fit together and, and how do these affect and, and what's new because of this combination, right? Yep. And then the conversion is when the language takes a definite shift, right? We talk about which ones yes. and when are and how are you going to, you know, to narrow the other end of the meeting and yeah. that's when you get to definition. Yeah. So the three phases are kind of to get everything out. 
You know, we, and we and, and in layman's terms, that's very much, we call it opening. opening Those are, that's right. a lot of opening. You're just opening boxes. You're getting all yeah. the, the pieces out. What's in here? What did you bring? It's kind of like a, um, it's kind of like a potluck. Yeah. What, what did you bring? Oh, great. And then let's arrange everything on the table, right? And what yeah. looks good next to what? And, yeah. and hmm, which if we put a piece of pie on the same plate as, as a casserole, what happens? You know, let's play with all this, yeah. right? Yeah, and playing then, exploration. Right. Yeah. And then at the other end, you, you definitely take uh, towards definition, you mm -hmm. take a conscious turn towards which ones of these. Yeah. And which ones are we going to drop? And you, you end up getting Closing. into certain exercises that eliminate things yes. to get to what's important. Yeah, and they're very, and, and that's where I often will say these kinds of sessions aren't brainstorming sessions. Like brainstorming really fits more in that initial. Uh, brain dump the opening just like well what can we do and there's and and people complain about well that's all blue sky and none of it's very realistic and you say okay I'm willing to accept that but in the opening phase we're not saying we can't do that what we're doing is al allowing that to happen so that then in the all right if, if we want to then explore during that exploration phase you can say oh well what would this look like and and how might we be able to make all of these things fit together and by by the through the very exercise there certain things are going to be excluded right and then you can put and you can work with people to say what are the what are the lenses that we're going to look at this our solutions through what are the hurdles that these solutions have to to cross in order for us to say that we would want to use them right, right. so is this profitable it's, it's the feasibility you know viability um, desirability kind of uh, equation right? Right, and, right and you can cut those any number of ways but you start to cross those hurdles and then you go wait a minute this was really very successful we actually got something that we think we can do right. and people will like and people will pay for right uh, it's gonna work yeah and that's yeah and that's a that's that the fundamental structure is there how you work within that is so open to interpretation and it has so many different ways of of uh, of, of manifesting itself and how people do it. it it really becomes style what I wanted to what I wanted to bring up with you Tom is the idea of Agendas. I, I'm yet to create an agenda that I've gone through, like I read a book. Like it, it in the nature of our work, and, and and it's changing. It's less. It used to be a lot of process mapping, which is a little bit easier to go from kind of beginning to end. People can follow along, and you can keep a session plan pretty clear. So your agenda. You're saying here are the opening exercises I want to do. Here are the exploration exercises I want to do, and here's here are the things we're going to do in order to reach a decision. Um, what I find is that I may go in, and if you're talking about developing a strategy, we say, okay, well, what are the lines of business that we're currently working in, and what's the current situation? And you suddenly find that two teams violently disagree about what the situation is. Oh, yeah. And you need to be able to pivot and say, okay, our goal today was to come out with a strategy. Right. Um, however, it's my job to acknowledge that there's no way we can get to a strategy without building, the, you know, taking this journey. Right. And we're going to, we need to spend time talking about this. We need to figure out how we're going to do this. And, and the, the, what I find works best is asking for the group's permission around that, helping them to understand it and then say, are, are you guys okay with us doing this piece? Yeah. Um, you know, we can, we can try to put a, a round peg in a square hole all you want this afternoon, but it's not going to fit unless we do this. And, and I just want to make sure you're okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're digging a foundation, but we found suddenly a, uh, 
an ancient Greek ruin under here. <laughs> we can't do this right now. <laughs> yeah, we've got archaeologists we need to call Sorry. in. We've got all sorts of people who need yeah. to photograph and document okay. this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, and you know, and and part of the soft skills of a facilitator is to be able to say that because that's very disappointing. You know, these are people who may have hundreds of millions of dollars on the line, and you know, sitting and waiting, and they have people they need to report to, yep. and they're saying. What we do, you know? We, well, of course we have everything we need for a strategy, and you have to be that person to say, "I don't think we do." Yeah. I, I, and that can be that. That I think is one of the most challenging pieces of the job. Well, and that's when you need to call on people to be grownups. It's hard, and and as a facilitator, that's sometimes great because you are also not an employee. <laughs> say, I I'm really sorry, but I don't. I just don't think, in my opinion, we can get there. Here's what I propose. Yeah. And uh, let's do that, and then we'll pick it up. Yeah. But, that, again, that gets back to you get into circles of ambiguity. You might, you might have definition, and then there's one piece that won't fit. It just will not. And suddenly that piece grows in importance to suddenly that is the core ambiguity, and you just have to deal with it. Yeah. So some tools to think about that are out there. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's a great book, Game Storming. Absolutely, by Dave Gray, uh, James, James McAnuffo, and Sonny Brown. Sonny Brown, check it out. It's on uh, it's on uh, Amazon, I know. Yeah. It was, uh, who's the publisher of that? That's an O'Reilly, isn't it? I think it is an O'Reilly book. Right, but there's another dude I know that wrote a book recently, Art of Opportunity. Uh, yeah, well, uh, yep, that's me, uh, myself, Parker Lee, and Dr. Mark Sanukas from Luxembourg. We put together a book called The Art of Opportunity uh, that is about, it's really about specifically developing new ideas for growth within your company. And it's really about taking you through the three steps of how do you identify opportunities? How do you then build the strategies around those? So that includes things like business models, and um, and and the service that you're actually going to design, and then how do you actually launch that? How do you deploy it in a, in a more agile fashion so you're not dumping a huge amount of money into something? So, yeah, yeah you can find that on Amazon as well. So, I'd love to hear back from you guys, metastential.com. If you have ideas or questions, or if you want a personal facilitation by Matt uh, Moraski, <laughs> that's available too. So, anyway, thanks for joining, guys. Send us your questions. Love to hear from you. Thanks, Tom. All right, time to hit the showers. This has been the Metastential Podcast, supported by Connective DX. Don't make us do all the work. Hit us up, podcast at metastential.com. Or on Twitter, at Metastential. I might even reply, because I'm on Twitter all day long. <laughs>